When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back for the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders. Looking me right in the eye right now is Greg Pickle. Greg, Penn State is unbeaten. A lot to get to. Going to try and get to 8-0, but they got to tackle Michigan State in East Lansing. The last two years have not gone well for Penn State. We're going to talk about why that's happened. Also, we're going to talk about Noah Kane, his usage, and why he only had five carries last week after two big games before that. We're going to talk about Penn State's offense and how they try and generate big plays, maybe how they can get better at that moving forward. And then we're going to get to the Penn State mailbag. Greg Kettle, how are you? Welcome back to another week, final week of October. And Are you going to wish me a happy Halloween? Happy Halloween to you. I don't think we both had Penn State to be unbeaten at this point. I know I didn't, but no matter, here we are. I did have them beating Michigan. Someone did not, but I did. That's right. At the start of the year. What is Lola, your golden retriever, going to wear for Halloween trick-or-treating? Uh, can, can, can you tell me and also it'll, everyone it'll else? It'll probably depend what Amazon decides to ship out by the time we get around to ordering it. Maybe the baby shark phenomena will continue. We'll see if the Nationals keep winning. All right. Please document this. Yes. Okay. So Penn State, 7-0 and after beating Michigan by 7. A little bit closer there at the end than people thought it would be considering they started out 21 nothing on the Wolverines in the whiteout game. Now, their third Pretty tough test in a row. They got to go to Michigan State. Michigan State's kind of struggling, four and three, but they're coming off a bye. They know how to play Penn State. D'Antonio has a very good record against Franklin, has only lost once. So when you look at this matchup and the fact that they have to travel again, how do you see this one playing out? And should Penn State fans be a little nervous about this game? They're a six and a half point favorite, but uh, they have lost the last two games in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't think you ever want to be in a situation where you're going to play a team on the road at the back end of a really difficult stretch, and suddenly you'd almost rather that team be in a good place than the wilted underdog that everybody thinks is going to roll over and play dead because they have six players in the transfer portal at least, if not more. They just got railroaded by Wisconsin 38 nothing or whatever it ended up being. It was ugly. Um, They had a bye week now to fix a lot of things and to figure out what Penn State does at a greater clip than what they would have during a normal week. So I don't think it lines up perfectly for Penn State, but I can't get over the talent advantage. You know, I think in years past, you looked at this Michigan State roster and you would say, okay, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy can wreck the game. Mm -hmm. I don't identify as many of those guys this time around. The question really, Bob, is will they be able to stop Brian Lewerke? He's been just slippery enough each of the past few years to lead comebacks. And then will they be able to go on the road and find a way to get the offense going from start to finish. I think slippery is a great word to describe Brian Lewerke, um, especially since two years ago. Speaking of slippery, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. The great weather delay game, over three hours. I think it was supposed to kick off at noon. Mm-hmm. We were stuck in the Michigan State press box with an irate David Jones <laughs> yeah. over this weather delay. He did not see any reason for it. Mm-hmm. He did not like it one bit. I think by the time they restarted the game, it was Tuesday. Yeah. Penn State. Started out fast, but it looked like the weather delay might have affected them. They lost the game late, 27-24. 
in the fourth quarter. I think Lewerke threw for exactly 400 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. One of his best games as a Spartan. And he did it to him again last year. He threw a touchdown pass, I believe, to Felton Davis the third yep. with 20, 25 seconds to go. Mm-hmm. And that was really a difficult loss. Penn State had lost Ohio State the week before. I don't think they ever recovered from that loss uh, for the rest of the season. The Spartans this year, though, you, you talk about the talent advantage Penn State has. They still have a pretty good front seven. Yep. You know, Penn State was able to run the ball on them last year because Miles Sanders had one long run. He finished up with 162 yards. But when you're facing a rugged front seven, it would figure that you might want maybe your most physical running back on the field maybe for more than a couple of series. So Noah Kane, after only Is five... Is that a move in the second down, Bob? After only Nicely died. Mm-hmm. So, Five carries, 19 yards. It surprised a lot of people. No carries in the first half. You know, James Franklin was asked about the Noah the Noah Kane question a different way mm-hmm. at his Tuesday news conference. In essence, it is, what are we missing? Is there something going on, you know, maybe away from the field? Right. Is it more than the on-field performance? And he just said there's a thousand things that go into, you know, setting the running back rotation and playing time. You guys see 20 minutes of practice all week we're on the field with these guys you know eight ten hours a day whatever the ncaa allows it just sounds to me like he circled back and they want to play all four guys but they have to find a way to get him more involved in the offense on a regular basis yeah i mean i think the question becomes what are those things in practice or in the meeting room that are keeping him from getting a more in the classroom in the classroom whatever uh what is this what's holding him back that's the thing we'll never have an answer to but clearly they think something is so you know he said after the game Saturday that they moved him up to the second running back, which is true, but he still didn't see much more time on the field. Now, I guess the question you can ask yourself is, is that because Penn State's offense stalled so much that they didn't have as many drives as they thought they would? Or was it a conscious decision to make sure they got these other guys in there before Noah Kane? That's the one thing we don't know and we won't get to hear about from Ricky Ronnie, but it comes down to at some point, you have to put your best players on the field. They've done it to their credit outside of the Pittsburgh game. They've done it. When it's the chips are on the table and it's time to win the game, they've put Noah Kane mm-hmm. on the field. They got KJ Hamler the ball to close out Michigan. So credit to Ricky Ronnie and his staff for that. But at some point, you're going to need it earlier than the closeout drive, which is something Penn State hasn't done. Mark D'Antonio had a really interesting comment where mm-hmm. he said they've closed earlier in his news conference Tuesday. He had mentioned that they had been able to close out Penn State, and then he said the thing that interested him most about Penn State this year is that they've been able to close out teams, and mm-hmm. that's something he hasn't obviously seen from them consistently before. So you know, using Noah Kane that role is great, but just feels like there's more ways to use him, and we'll see if this is the week they finally do that. Two points on Noah Kane before we move to third down. I think it's a chicken versus the egg argument. You said their drives were stalling out so they didn't get him in the game. Were the drives stalling out because they didn't give him the ball? Right. You know, I think that's yeah. that's another way of looking at that. Also, I really think and I, I just I don't think he can really afford to speak about it. But this this to me is about the transfer portal. I think it really is. I think they do like all four running backs and I think maybe the separation between Noah and Devin Ford Journey Brown and Ricky Slade, who had a nice run mm-hmm. against Michigan. It's yeah. it's probably not that much, and they're all different runners. I think if they do say we found our starting running back, there's going to be some unhappy campers in that running back room. I think they're all mindful of that. There's going to be unhappy campers either right. way, though. You got two more four stars coming in next year. I know, but I think that I think that once you commit to Noah, then everything accelerates, and I just don't think he's ready to do that. Yeah. I think he's trying to trying to manage this a little bit. I don't know that he can really talk about it because he doesn't really want to. I don't think you would want to admit that. I just think the transfer portal is a, is a bigger factor maybe than many people realize. Right. But we'll see. We'll see if Noah Kane, if it's, if it's in the fourth quarter and the game's tied at 20, who's going to be the back they put in the game? They did it 
They committed to him against Iowa. Mm-hmm. They committed to him in the third quarter against Pittsburgh. And he looked awfully good against Purdue. They had the game won. But the offense just looks different, I think, with him running the ball. I'm real curious to see what they do with him against Michigan State. I'm curious to see if we can ever move past this or if it's going to be a topic of conversation all season long. I don't think it's going away until they either beat somebody so convincingly that it doesn't matter or they find a way to get him on the field more and he becomes more of a game record than, you know, when he's had, like he's like he's done when he's had the opportunities yeah. to do so. It is one of the greater mysteries of the James Franklin regime. He's This kid's only been on campus for, you know, 10 months, seven games, but he's just a very fascinating figure. He does so many good things. He can catch the ball too. He can block, uh, pass protect as well. And and believe me, I know that you know this. The fans are very very curious about that. Yep. There's very rarely a day go by that we don't hear about it from a, a lot of different Penn State fans. They just want to know an answer. I don't know that we're going to get one. But let's move to third down. And Not talk- yet, because let's speak about things we have to hear from the fans, Bob. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. Just rolling there, Craig. I was Penn Live. I know we we're going to get there. The Penn Live Penn State Blitz podcast. You can get it wherever you get your audio, Stitcher, Apple, Google, mm-hmm. Acast, and an embedded post. And you can find, once you're done listening to this podcast, the Penn State Update with our buddy Dustin Hawkins-Smith. It's mm-hmm. posted every morning. Gives you a top headlines of the day, so be sure to check out that. Mm-hmm. Like, rate, and subscribe. And then if you're preferring the videos, Bob, YouTube.com slash State to find our latest videos, whether it's in the rain on a rainy Tuesday in State College right. or... If it's you and Dave Jones and we're getting shooed off the field like we did two years ago at Spartan Stadium. Oh, that's right. Uh, those videos will they be there. that well, too. Yeah. Whenever I think of Dustin and, and I, the Penn State podcast, obviously, is, is a great new addition to what we're doing. The only two words that pop into my head when I think of Dustin Hawkinsmith, professional eater. Yes. I mean, he's got a career in that field if he ever wants to go down that road. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. I've seen it when he was on the Penn State beat a couple of years ago. Yeah. He is a fantastic eater when he has a little time on his hands. And he's doing some good things for Penn Live in the eating department as well. Right. But let's turn it back to Penn State. You know, their offense against Iowa generated just one explosive play. The 22-yard touchdown pass from Clifford to Hamler, and it was just enough. They got more big plays against Michigan. Franklin talked about they felt that they were going to beat Michigan. That was the way to do it. It was going to be tough to just line up and try and keep the ball for six or seven minutes. I don't know that Penn State's really constructed that way. Anyway, but they seem to be able to do it when Noah Kane's on the field. But he was talking about how to generate more chunk plays. And he had an interesting take on maybe, you know, going from, you know, four to six to eight to maybe 10 to 12 a game. Right. And it actually, Greg, starts with maybe being more efficient in the short passing game. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen Sean Clifford at times maybe not make all of his reads or the right reads. And that's not just in the passing game. I think it's in the running game, too. I think there's times he has kept it when there's an opportunity there to read the defensive lineman and hand off and let somebody else get a big gain. Sometimes he just keeps it. I think he rushes through things a little yeah. bit at times. But, yeah, being more efficient in those areas and in the short passing game, you know, how many times have we heard James Franklin and Ricky Ronnie say, well, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, yada, 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 because we're going to take what the defense gives us. That's fine as long as you take what the defense gives right. you. And I think there's been chances to hit teams underneath. There's definitely going to be chances to hit Michigan State underneath and let KJ Hamler run, kind of like that play right. at uh, Maryland or Jahan Dotson, the, the play yeah. that KJ. Or play at Iowa. The, right. The, yeah. the, the, that was a flat Those, pass that essentially he, he took the distance. Those should be the opportunities to beat Michigan State's front seven, and they'll be aggressive too, no doubt. So. I think if you're more consistent on those and you don't miss wide open Pat Fryermuth on third mm-hmm. and eight, you know, there's there's things you can point to every game that says this offense isn't far away. The stats back that up. 
At some point, though, you're going to run into a non-anemic offense, and it may not be until they play Minnesota. It may not be until they play Ohio State. But at some point, you're going to find an offense that is able to score points and that your defense is not going to be able to put in its own scoring droughts, and you're not going to be able to score 21 or 28 points out of the shoot and then sit around and sit on that lead for, you know, basically three quarters. Yeah, and having said all that, I think I think we, we probably we, – we have to say, like, uh, Sean Clifford is having a tremendous year. Oh, no question. Um, yeah, we're, it's not really. We're not. I don't think you or I are, are saying that he needs to play better. We just think that there's some more efficiency that he can have. Right. He's completing, I think, sixty three percent of his yep. passes. Only turned the ball over twice in seven games. He's impacting the game with his legs. He did it against Iowa. He did yep. it against Michigan when they needed them to do that. He is playing at a at a very high level for mm-hmm. a first year starter. Yeah. And really, when you think about it, it's hard to believe. That you know, going into spring practice, we we weren't even really talking about him yeah. as Penn State's quarterback. It was all Tommy Stevens, and then everything kind of fell into place, and Tommy decided to go to Mississippi State. But he's just had he's really, literally taken the ball and run with it for Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think what James is trying to talk is talking about, and it's also drop passes. But yeah, there are, there yeah. are opportunities for them to be even better, and I think he knows they're going to need to be like that with the game at Michigan State and also a game at Ohio State later this year. Um, but he, it's interesting to, to note that he, he thinks the short passing game will set up, you know, the running game and also bigger plays, catch and runs that will become explosive plays. Yeah, I mean, I think the, this, the biggest takeaway to me is that Sean Clifford's playing so well that you're able to nitpick these little things because all the other things are taking care of themselves. The putting up enough points to win, they're top 10 in the country in that <clears> department. <throat> Average scoring margin, they're top 10 in the country. I right. believe he might have the most total yards from scrimmage of any quarterback in the Big Ten. He's at least in the top two with just with, uh, yeah. uh, Justin Fields. So, I mean, yeah, certainly it feels like nitpicking to critique him. At the same time, you know, again, you're going to get into some games where you need some points and you can't go 17, 18, 19, 20 minutes without scoring. That's the next step for this offense. But it's already taken probably a bigger step than most would have assumed. Back Again, go back all the way to April when we were talking about what this offense could look like. I think it's probably much further ahead of what, even the most optimistic Penn State fans could have hoped for in the second year of Ricky Ronnie, the first year of Sean Clifford, basically a brand new running back pitcher. And they're doing all this without really getting Justin Shorter or a third wide receiver involved. So it's been impressive. Yes. All right. That's where I think we're three downs in. Yeah. That means fourth down is upon us. Yes. Penn State's offense is pretty good on fourth down this year. I Mm -hmm. think we're just okay. Let's just talk about our fourth down percentage with the Penn State mailbag. So let's go. All right. First one, Bob. Micah Parsons, James Franklin's talked about him on Tuesday during his weekly news conference, brought up the fact that his ceiling is very high, but he thinks that he's nowhere close to it. What have you seen differently from Micah this year compared to last? And is it true in your opinion that he's nowhere close to reaching the heights of what his career could be? I think James Franklin is a pretty sharp guy. And I think when he says stuff like this, he knows that Micah is looking at maybe being three and out at Penn State. So when you say he can get better mm-hmm. and he's nowhere near his ceiling, he's it's kind of like, he's kind of saying that man, if he imagine what he can do if he stayed four years at Penn State. Sure. I, th- I think that's part of it. But uh, uh, what I've noticed about Micah, he is definitely playing faster. Not that he wasn't playing fast last year; he was playing fast, especially at the end of last year. He is hitting people harder, if that's possible. He, he put a shot on, on Patterson on the second play of the game. I'm surprised Patterson got up. He, he is delivering some impactful blows. Um, I think where he can get better, and I think it will just happen naturally, is you're going to see him produce more game-changing plays. It's not that he hasn't been in position to do it. And the reason I think that is 
as his career has gone on, Greg, they're using him more off the edge. If you remember early in the season and last year, a lot of the times it looked like he was almost like a stack backer, you know, aligned inside as an outside linebacker. Against Michigan, he was walking up and almost playing stand-up defensive end, and they're they're sending him a lot more on blitzes. I think that's where, a disrupt, as a disruptive player, I think that's Micah's next step. He's got six tackles for loss already. He's been close on an, a lot of other plays. He, he is this close to really becoming a game wrecker and a game changer, I think, as a blitzer and as a pass rusher, and I think that's kind of a little bit what James Franklin's alluding to. Yeah, no doubt about it. Moving on to uh, the second mailbag question in our segment here. So James Franklin took the high road when asked about the officiating at Iowa. He did. Jim Harbaugh kind of <laughs> did the opposite. He complained about it after Interesting. the game. Interesting, was that the comment? Uh, interesting to compare those yeah. calls. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, on Tuesday, Nico Collins complained about the offensive pass interference that was called against him when Marquise Wilson was defending him. Mm-hmm. So what would you rather, Bob? Would you rather that someone take the James Frank, a coach or someone we're interviewing, take the James Franklin approach and discuss the, and not really discuss the officiating kind of just let it go. Or would you rather hear from them, their perspective on how those calls may have changed the game? I think in today's day and age, Greg, with all the TV replays and all the commentating and all the social media, I think officials mistakes speak for themselves. I think right. when they're glaringly and with replay, I mean, they couldn't even get in the Iowa game. They even had right. the had the advantage of replay. <laughs> still got it wrong. Right. Yeah, I think James is probably pretty smart. He's when you when it looks like you're taking the higher road, avoiding fines. I, I think that is the right approach. I just think that Jim Harbaugh gets so mad sometimes he just can't. He's 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 a little bit more old school, I think, than James Franklin is. And I think that Jim was mad from a play early in the game when uh, John Reed broke up a pass on third down. I thought he got there early. They didn't call a flag, and I saw him freak out it wasn't the, quite the two the years ago line. explosion with i saw him freak out off, and yeah. i think he has a hard time of settling back down when that happens they did have a lot of penalties in the game they a lot of them were deserved deserved it's not like penn state you know got out of the game scot-free they had a kick return you know called back for a touchdown by kj hamler on a double team as james franklin pointed out they didn't even really need to hold the guy he wasn't ever going to tackle kj hamler he talked about special teams penalties being an issue and that's something they need to clean up against Michigan State but I think Franklin handled it right final question then we'll get into picks and predictions after the break can't wait and remember like rate subscribe to Penn Life Penn State Blitz podcast mm-hmm. you can also now find the Penn State update podcast every day right Bob what's more surprising to you the number of penalties for defensive holding and defensive pass interference that John Reed has been assessed this year or Justin Shorter's lack of involvement in the passing game uh, I would say Justin Shorter's lack of involvement. James keeps going back to the fact that he got the helmet-to-helmet hit against Maryland. Right. Like, I would say, I think it was late in the first half, mm-hmm. maybe, or second quarter. Yep. Didn't play the rest of that game. Didn't play against Purdue. I still think that now that we're, he's officially, what, they played 13 games last year, 20 games into his career. I thought 20 games into his career, we, we'd be talking about him as one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. That might not be fair to say to him. I think he's got all the tools in the world, but it's just the progress has been very slow for him. He has dealt with separate medical issues one was a knee injury last year Uh, obviously the helmet and the concussion I'm guessing it was a concussion this year has hampered him as far as John Reed you know the funny thing about his penalties and also the the touchdown he gave up at Iowa is I think a couple of the penalties have been very questionable I thought one against Pittsburgh might have been questionable one against Iowa and he was in great position Greg I think to to defend that touchdown in the Iowa game and he just didn't kind of play aggressively let that receiver go over him and catch the ball he just can't do that I think he's really close to being a very good corner and I wouldn't give him 
too much grief over the penalties because I don't know that all of them were penalties. Yeah, two uh, quick thoughts on that. It could have maybe been pass interference on the offense in that Iowa that Iowa score. I mean, I, it ticky tacky, but yeah. so was the calls on him earlier. So, yeah. uh, secondly, Brent Pride, James Franklin, both would rather take a penalty if they have to, and maybe a guy gets an interception yeah. or he knocks up knocks a play, you know, forces a fourth down like you just mentioned on the the Harbaugh thing. So I, I think they just live with those. All right, time for picks and predictions after the break, Bob. We're back here on the Penn State Blitz podcast. Greg Pickle, Bob Flounders. I'm Bob Flounders. Greg Pickle will be talking shortly. And it's time to make a pick on the Penn State game against Michigan State. Are you going to have any other picks for us, or are we just going to stick to this game? No, let's stick with that one, though. I will say that uh, getting a little itchy to look at Rutgers if that spread with Liberty keeps getting closer to 10. Uh, but I don't know. You got That's a bad football team, man. Speaking of not bad football teams. Is there any teams, day, gambling day that you're not itchy? Is, there, is it just? It depends. What's, just go through all the things you've bet on in your life, just quickly. It's, a, it's quite a long list. I'm not you sure how long we have. I lie, yes. Have you bet on women's tennis yes. overseas? Yes. Have you bet on rugby? Rugby, no. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe we'll change that this weekend. Let's work yeah, on that. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got sidetracked there just because you're so peculiar. All right. All right. Penn State is a six and a half point favorite. The yep. total is? I've seen 41. I've seen 43. Pretty low. Yeah. It's, it's definitely low. And I'm leaning toward the under. I think Penn State, in a perfect world, would do what it did against Iowa. And, right. and get some points. I'm sorry, not Iowa. Do what it did against uh, Maryland and, and some other teams on the schedule. Purdue. Get some points on the board early. Michigan as well. And then it doesn't have to be pitch perfect. And it's not going to be pitch perfect against this Michigan State defense for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. But it can't go 18, 19, 20 minutes without scoring. I see this one. Penn State 24, Michigan State 7. I don't think the Spartans offense Ooh. is really good in that. Wow. I, I think I caught you off guard have there. Have you not watched Brian Lewerke in the fourth quarter I against have. this team last year? This team just feels a little bit differently than the other ones, Bob. This Penn State defense feels a little bit more aggressive than the ones in the years past. And you have to decide in this game, is Michigan State going to come out and play like it's the Super Bowl for them? Or are they going to roll over? I think Penn State will do enough scoring in the first half of this game to take the fight out of the Michigan State team and the wind out of their sails, and Penn State coasts to a victory and finishes October unbeaten. Okay, so a couple things about this game. You think this is a different scenario. Michigan State is coming off a of bye week. Yep. If they have any fight left in them for the season, they're 4-3. and three. They got just killed by Wisconsin. They played Ohio State. That didn't go well either. I think we've talked about some unhappy players, I think, in the program. But if they're going to bring their A game, I think they're going to have to make a stand. This is going to have to be the game. That's the question I think that we have to kind of ask. Do we think Michigan State is capable of bringing their A game against Penn State? And also, Penn State has not done much in the fourth quarter the last two games. They scored three points. Uh, They lost last year 21-17 on a late touchdown pass. They got shut out in the fourth quarter two years ago here, lost 27-24. I think Michigan State's going to come to play, but I do think that Penn State's talent will win out. I'm going to go 27-23. I think the last touchdown Michigan State scores will be in garbage time. I think the game will be a little bit more in hand, but they will tack on one late. I do think Lewerke, some players just have a way of playing well against teams. It doesn't really matter if they're facing really good players. They find a way to get it done. I think he's going to make a couple of plays. 27-23 Penn State, so I'm going with the over. I'm going to say Penn State wins the game, but having played three tough games in a row and this one on the road, I think it's going to be a struggle for them to cover. I'm going to go 27 
23 Penn State. You think it's going to be 24-7. Yep. And you're not going to give us a rugby prediction. Not till next week. Anything in New Zealand interest you at all? No, not really. All right. I think that's a wrap. I think we've talked enough about Noah Kane and everyone else. Let's just see if Penn State can get to 8-0. 